Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. I'm here with a colleague and friend, B of Yes Parenting, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. I first found B when um, I discovered her doing a live tapping session on Instagram, and I fell in love. And so I've been following her for a couple of years now, and I'm really excited to be having her here and sharing her perspective on parenting with us. B, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's really lovely to be here, Laura. Oh, I'm so excited. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, so I am B Marshall. I live in the UK with my two teenage sons. My eldest son is 16 and my youngest son is 14 and a half. We are a neurodivergent family. Each one of us is autistic, but we each express what it means to be autistic in a very different way. So it makes for a very kind of diverse experience of living. And I'm married to a wonderful man called Green, not the father of my kids. We actively choose not to live together. So we live two doors apart, which is a perfect setup for us. And I never set out to create an approach to parenting. But yes, parenting came about because I started out as a super nanny devotee. I was all about timeouts and naughty steps and star charts and all of that stuff. And when my eldest son was about two and a half, I'd put him on timeout and on the naughty step. And basically the whole way, the whole thing unfolded, ended up with me having this light bulb moment of just feeling like, what the hell am I doing? Mm. And this is not the relationship I want with my child. And this is not how I imagined being a parent. And this is so far removed from what I expected. And that led me into a whole thought process And then basically over the course of a week, I had made so many connections, not just around using punishments like time out and naughty step, but everything around our insistence on please and thank you, um, saying sorry, autonomy and children. I mean, it all happened just in a week. And by the end of that week, I was like, I would not tolerate this level of control and fear in any other relationship in my life. So why do I think it's okay to have this with my kids? And that started the journey which then turned into Yes Parenting. And Yes Parenting is a very specific set of principles that can apply to any family, any relationship dynamic within any family. And I have not yet come across a family for whom Yes Parenting didn't work. 
So that's where Yes Parenting's at now. And it was a happy accident that, you know, has led to me being a parenting expert in the British media and, you know, just bumbling along in my little quiet life, but kind of trying to share Yes Parenting with the world and whoever wants to listen. Oh my gosh, B, I think we're all on the edge of our seats. I know I had this major lean in moment when you said that you would not tolerate this level of control or fear in any other relationship. And so why would it ever be okay to have it in a parent-child relationship? I think that's probably where almost all of us as listeners are, or at least where we were at one point realizing that we were putting into practice actions that we would never tolerate ourselves. Or if we were in a place where we were recognizing that anybody on the outside would say like, that's not healthy, that's not okay. You know, and why do we think it's okay for our kids? Well, I mean, I know why, because we're socially and culturally conditioned to expect that that's how it's supposed to be as parents. It's more than that as well. I mean, you're right. It is to do with the social and cultural expectation and the conditioning. But I think it's more than that. I think that approach to parenting breeds adults who then have a huge need for power and control because Mm -hmm. we haven't been given it as children. So then as adults, it's like our first opportunity to grab it. And when we have children, it's this perfect setup where we now have somebody that we can control through the power that we have. And that power combined with low level fear meets this need for control in us. And that then continues this cycle until one of us, and in our situations, it's well, certainly it's been me and my family lineage goes, whoa, Oh my God, I never saw this before, but I see this now. And this is not a cycle that I want to carry on. This is not a dynamic that I want to have with my child or with my, you know, whoever. And so then we make the change. So I think, you know, obviously there is the cultural conditioning that leads most people just to think, well, this is just how you parent. But I also think it's important to have that moment of realizing that we as adults who've been parented in that way ourselves have not had that need for control and power met. And so then we actually have this opportunity to really meet it in a powerful way that fuels us to continue the conditioned way of parenting. So then we have to go because the number of times, even now that, and you know, so Peep, my eldest son was two and a half when I first made this aha moment of like, whoa, I need to do things differently. And he's now 16, coming up to 16 and a half. So it's like 14 years that I've been doing this. And even now I catch myself noticing how much I want to control one of my boys. Like, and that might be that I just think that's it. I want to, you know, in my head thinking, I just want to throw their PlayStations out of the window. <laughs> Or like, like, you know, that's it. I want to set very strict kind of, you know, internet access and da, 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 you know, like I catch that in myself, that desire to have control and power. And now I'm able to go, whoa, okay, how do I meet my own need for control and power? Because yeah. It's okay that I need control and power. It's just not okay to meet that need in myself by controlling or having power over my children. So, oh my gosh, that's yes. A, I love this because we all have an inherent need for autonomy and Mm -hmm. the need to feel power, the need to feel that we have control. And I I love how you're framing this, that if that need wasn't met as children, if we weren't given opportunities to express that and play with it and feel powerful in our own Mm -hmm. lives, then of course we come out of childhood looking still to meet that need. We all have unmet needs from childhood that, you know, our parents did the best that they could 
most of them mm-hmm. were working with what they knew and absolutely and we, i mean we all have unmet needs that we go into adulthood looking to meet in various ways often unhealthy ways you know too okay so in that moment of recognition though be where you are like you recognize okay this is my unmet need for control and power mm-hmm. and it's not right for me to get this need met by controlling others then what do we do mm-hmm. what do we do in that moment mm-hmm. well so this for me is this is an ongoing work in progress Like I haven't arrived. I I think that's so important. Yes. (laughs) I think it's really important. I mean, you know, I want to be really clear that I'm by no means a perfect parent, but I'm not even sure that I do catch it before I step into that controlling behavior. But for the most part, I do. So I have a moment where I notice, I just notice whatever that energy in me feels like that rises up and wants to control. So it could be that I notice my head playing out the visual fantasy of throwing their playstations out of the window or I don't know whatever that might be and I notice it and the minute I notice it and this is something I've learned over time I notice it and then I kind of greet it I go oh yeah god I really want to control them right now and and I'll be like shoot like I really want to control them and then I'll be like why So much of being a parent and being like this uh, kind of intentional conscious parent, I think is that willingness to be curious, to kind of step into that role of being detective. And yes, a lot of that might be curiosity around why is my child behaving this way? But actually when it's us reacting, it's that curiosity of like, why am I behaving this way? So then I'll start to go, well, why actually, why am I feeling this need to control? Where am I currently experiencing a loss of power or autonomy in my own life? And that may be something like I've just agreed to go and meet someone for a coffee who actually I'm not really interested in meeting for coffee, but I didn't feel able to say no. But the fact that I've given my power away to them means I suddenly have this unmet need for power in myself. And so now I'm looking to meet that need in myself by controlling my kids. So that kind of curiosity about where's this coming from? And then for me, from a yes parenting perspective and using yes parenting language, it would be how can I find a yes to my need for power and control right now without choosing to have power over my kids or trying to control them? And that might mean I ring that person up and say, you know, we just arranged that coffee. Actually, I don't have the headspace or the energy for it right now. Or it might be recognizing that I have a whole pile of life admin building up and I haven't dealt with it in several weeks. And actually, if I sit down and do 45 minutes of life admin, I'm going to be feeling empowered because it's I know it's getting done and it's not staring at me. Or it might be cleaning my oven, for example. Something about cleaning my oven gives me a great sense of power. But it's working out where is the yes to my need for power and control right now. And if I can meet that need in myself, and sometimes actually I meet that need simply by acknowledging the need is there. Mm -hmm. You know, just by recognizing how much I'm desiring to control my kids or my husband, interestingly, he's the other person that I want to control. Just the recognition of it empowers me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but the needs, you know, as humans, we have so many needs. We, obviously we have our basic needs of, food and water and movement and connection. We have needs for rest, privacy, autonomy, contribution, acknowledgement. You know, there are so many needs. And at first, we might not even know what we need. We might not realize what is going unmet in me that's leading me to, I don't know, to try and control my child or 
to be lacking generosity with my child or, or whatever it is. And I think over time, it's that willingness to be curious and explore and reflect that helps us start to find the language. So the language I use now is not language I had 10 years ago. It's mm-hmm. language that I have learned over time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I want to just pull out a few big, mm. big things. So mm. we here at the Balanced Parent Podcast believe that we're never done, that this is not something that we're doing and that we're never at an end point, that there's always work and growth and, you know, things to do. So I love that you said that, you know, that it is so important to recognize that even the folks that you hear on these podcasts don't have it all figured out. We're still Mm -hmm. learning. We still make mistakes. I love that you're talking about curiosity. I over and over tell my folks that I work with that curiosity is one of your biggest superpowers as a parent, as a partner, as a person getting curious with yourself and your kids. I love that. But I would really also really love to dig into the principles of yes parenting. I Mm. think that I would really, because I love this idea of how can I say yes to myself? This So we're noticing, we're acknowledging, we're accepting, we're allowing our needs, you know, that maybe have gone unmet and, that, and mm-hmm. noticing them and then trying to find the yes in there. I want to know mm. more about that if mm. you would share it with us. Okay, so at its most bare minimum and these are nuggets, I suppose, that I will come back to on a daily basis. The first is, where is the yes to joy, peace, connection and ease in any situation, whether you've got a baby who just won't settle to sleep, whether you've got toddlers who are, you know, scrapping over Lego, whether you've got older children who are, I don't know, whatever it is, it's like, where is the yes to joy, peace, connection and ease? And that needs to be a yes for everybody. The second is that a yes is always expansive and a no always contracts. Now, I just want to put a caveat over all of this. If any of your listeners are thinking, oh, well, you can't say yes to everything. What if my child runs into the street? (laughs) If you yell at your child and grab them back from the street, that's an expansive move because you've just prevented them being injured or killed or whatever. Like you can keep your common sense hat on when you're listening to me talk about yes parenting. It's yes parenting certainly is not permissive parenting. So yes is expansive, no is contracting. And I really want to live an expansive life. I want my family to be an expansive experience. I want my boys to know what it means to live an expansive life. And expansive is different for everyone. So it's you tune into what's expansive for you. So the first yes is always a yes to yourself. I know as mothers, we can quite quick, I mean, obviously at the very, very beginnings of motherhood, you have a baby that's 24 hours dependent on you. So you really are in that place of putting your baby's needs first and that's totally appropriate, but you have to look at needs. So what is a yes to my needs? Am I meeting my needs for nourishing food, plenty of water, movement, preferably outside, rest, or sleep if I can get sleep, depending on what stage of parenting you're at, and then connection. Those are like the five basic needs that I believe we as parents need to be checking in every day. Am I managing to meet all five needs? Am I even managing to meet two of these needs? Like, you know, like sometimes we might go, oh my God, like I haven't talked to anyone in days. I don't remember the last time I actually gave myself permission to rest. I'm definitely not drinking enough water. I'm just eating the leftovers off my kids' plates and I'm not really moving my body at all because it feels too much to get out of the house and 
do it you know like mm-hmm. and I can't work out in my lounge my living room because there's lego all over the floor you know like so sometimes we might not be meeting any of those needs yeah. so the first yes is a yes to needs and recognizing over time with that curiosity like how do I express myself when my needs are not being met so what comes out of me is anger anger and control I know that something has got off kilter because I will be responding in an angry and controlling way Mm -hmm. but but other people might be doing the silent treatment Mm -hmm. or trying to run away you know just it's who you are as a unique being and then it's yes to interests and preferences and then it's yes to desires where possible and then we look at those for our children or our partner or whoever so like am I finding a yes to my child's needs and again starting with those five basic daily needs before you worry about you know other needs and then am I finding a yes to their interests and preferences and depending on their age that could be as simple as they have a preference for being carried in a sling over being in the buggy or a yes for the blue cup over the red cup or a preference for sitting on your lap and watching a movie rather than sitting by themselves and watching a movie might be a interest in trains you know who knows what it is but it changes obviously with age Mm -hmm. and then again a yes to their desires where possible and I think quite often and I just want to touch on this we as adults I think this is one of the ways that we maybe control without realizing are quite quick to shut down our children's desires when we're quite willing to find a yes to our own And I remember once going to the bookstore and my boys had found this book and they really wanted it. It must've cost about £6.99. That's about, I don't know, eight or $9. And I said no to them because in my head, I didn't have the money to buy it. And then on the way out of the bookstore, we walked through the coffee shop and I didn't think twice about buying myself a takeout coffee for about £3, which is maybe about four or $5. Mm -hmm. And as I was drinking this coffee, I had this moment of like, oh my God, this coffee is going to last me what? 20 minutes and two of these coffees would cover that book and that book will last bedtime after bedtime after bedtime or that book's going to last months and I said to my boys guys I've changed my mind let's get that book I think that'd be a lovely thing to do and we went back and we got the book I mean it was a real moment for me of noticing how I prioritized my desires over theirs So that's how we find a yes to needs, interests and preferences and desires. Then when it comes to things that we are not happy with, I talk about being the change that you want to see in your child or being the change you want to see in your partner or whatever. Because quite often when we're bothered by something like mess, for example, we focus on trying to get our kids to tidy up their mess or we get cross with them about their mess or whatever it is. Actually, if we step back And we look at where have I got mess in my life? For me, it's always the kitchen. But is it the kitchen? Is it your office? Is it the laundry space? Is it, you know, where is my, yeah, where's my mess? If I find a yes to resolving my mess, then different things might happen. One is I might suddenly not even notice my kid's mess because it's no longer an issue because my mess is taken care of. Mm. Or two, I might notice their mess, but it's no longer bothering me. Or three, because we've changed our own energy response around mess, we start to notice that they're clearing up anyway. So this whole process of being the change that we want to see in our child, and it can work with phones. You see parents telling their kids to get off their screens whilst being on their phone constantly, (laughs) or telling their kids to get outside and be active, and they haven't been outside themselves to be active in ages, whatever it is. We can nearly always find 
that part within ourselves and do the work there. And it can be internal as well. Like, you know, stop scrapping with your brother, for example, but actually, can I find the place within myself where I'm scrapping with my husband or I'm internally scrapping with my mother, even though I might not be saying it out loud, you know, so we can do the inner work with that. Another principle of yes, parenting is about softening into the hard stuff. Because when parenting gets hard, like, so I don't know how much you're aware of this or your listeners are aware of this, but child development moves in a process of approximately six monthly cycles. And when we're in a a lovely cycle, everything is wonderful. And it's basically everything is wonderful because the different parts that need to develop. So physical, mental, emotional, and energetics. I'm all about energy. Those parts have all hit a lovely development level together and we're cruising. And then we come round into a time where just it's just hard and we don't understand why our child is regressing or suddenly aggressive or you know, whatever's going on. And that's because those different parts are trying to move to a new level of development and they're doing it at different speeds. And suddenly everything's like, eh, 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 eh. And it can feel really difficult. Now, if we try and fight that or resist it, it just gets harder. But if we can soften into it and basically find a yes to this is my child's reality right now. And this is my reality with my child. And we can soften into the acceptance of that. Mm -hmm. It leads us into that yes towards joy, peace, connection and ease that I talked about at the beginning. I think that that's so important. I think that acceptance is something that is misunderstood and incredibly powerful to be using proactively in our homes. Carl Jung's quote, uh, what we resist persists is one of my favorites. And acceptance isn't about being a doormat or, you know, saying it's okay. You know, it's about just simply acknowledging that this is what it is right now. And And it's like the difference between like grasping something hard and holding it loosely in your hand. It's an exercise that I do with my clients who are grasping often, who are resisting. I ask them to hold a rock or stone or a toy or a Lego hard, firm, grasping it in their hand and just see how long they can hold on to it, how it feels. And then to just take the rock or stone or whatever it is and hold it loosely in the palm of their Mm. cupped hand and and see how different that experience is. And that's what acceptance is. You know, it's just holding Mm. it loosely. Here it is, you know? Yeah. Just today, actually on Facebook, I read a post where a mom was despairing over her four-year-old because they'd bought as a family, they had bought two packs of chocolate as gifts for the grandparents. And so they'd gone to visit one grandmother and shared these gifts that shared the pack of chocolate and she'd shared them out a bit and then put them to the side. And later on, the mum discovered that the four-year-old had helped himself. And she had said, you know, it's not your chocolate, it's granny's chocolate and you need to ask. And I think then he did it again later on. And so that night they put it up on top of the refrigerator and they came down in the morning and he had climbed up and he'd got it and he'd had some more and she said how do I deal with this mm-hmm. and it just seems so obvious because she said oh you know we've already explained to him that it's not okay to take what's not yours and da, 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 da. And it just seems so obvious to me that the way to respond to that would be to say wow you obviously really love chocolate shall we go and get you some chocolate of your own so that you don't need to take someone else's chocolate And then, of course, if he says, oh, yes, please, then you can have a fun trip to the shops. You can get in chocolate. And then he has his own chocolate. He no longer feels the need to take someone else's chocolate. And it's clear to me in that situation that right now he doesn't have the developmental ability to step back from that 
you know, the compulsion to have the chocolate to go, oh, I just need to go and ask granny, may I have some chocolate? You know, that's not there yet for him. And it just seemed a really... Now, this wouldn't have been obvious to me when my boys were four yeah. at all. I, I still would have been trying to do the teaching, the lesson about the chocolate and asking permission. But from my perspective now with teenage sons, I realise that there are so many things that we try and manage and hold on to mm-hmm. in that hard way, rather than just softening into it and going, oh, wow, my four-year-old clearly really loves chocolate. Let's go get him some chocolate of his own. Because we have all these fears about what will happen in the future if I let my child have chocolate that easily, or, you know, or they're not going to learn to ask permission. They're going to end up being, you know, stealing stuff. And they're not. They're not at all, (laughs) you know? Um, You're really helping me with something right now, something that's been weighing on me. My daughters are eight and five. And at the time of this recording, it's just after the Thanksgiving holidays here in the US. And one of their favorite shows just released a Christmas, like a holiday special. They're very excited to see. And yesterday, my eight-year-old was very fixated on being able to watch it. But we'd already watched two shows, you know, two movies over the weekend, which is way more than what we normally do. My eight-year-old does have some sensory issues Mm. with screens and so it can be quite hard for her to come down off of them and she Mm. knows this she regulates herself Mm. pretty well around them and she gets headaches when she watches them for too long and she's very attuned to the effect that she has so we do limit them as a family but she's been very fixated on it and I mean oh my gosh like hearing you talk about it has really helped me see how controlling I've been with her on this thing. It would have been so much more joyful, so much more expansive, so much better really for our family in the long run to have said yes to that in that moment when she was Mm -hmm. asking for it. And I was Mm -hmm. totally being governed by fear, fear of like the meltdown that might happen, you know, that if she had so much screens and just such a short amount of time, which historically is true for her. Mm -hmm. Like that Mm -hmm. does happen. You've really helped me see this. And so after we talk, I'm going to totally touch base with my partner on this Mm -hmm. and see, figure out how we can say yes to that request of hers because mm-hmm. it's a reasonable request I mean mm-hmm. oh my gosh I totally am feeling like you know there's new holiday movies coming out I really love like trashy holiday Netflix specials <laughs> and I'm excited for them I'm looking forward to seeing them mm-hmm. and I will allow myself to have them why can't I say yes to her desires thank you very yeah. much and I'm sure everybody's listening has been stuck in and- a place like that where they're they made some decision and they're holding on to it mm. and they're not go and being flexible and compassionate mm. for some fear. It happens mm. to all of us, you know? May I share with you some thoughts about your situation? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose it sounds like you have quite a lot of clarity and awareness about how the sensory experience for her of screens affects her behavior. And we know that her behavior is an outworking of dysregulation in general. It's not a behavior issue. Of course, no, so, she, her body feels very uncomfortable right. afterwards. Yeah. And so I would be thinking, okay, how can we support her to go into that movie in the most regulated way possible? Is it like, for example, water is water generally regulates most human beings, whether it's a shower or a bath, swimming, you know, playing out in the rain. So like it might be thinking, do we like have a bath time after lunch and then we watch the movie in the afternoon so that she goes into the movie in that really regulated way? Or like we watch it, but we agree as a family, a plan that like, you know, whether we need to stop the movie halfway through because it's starting to feel too much, whether we watch the whole thing, we'll then go out for a walk, 
-hmm. the woods or we'll go for a walk around the block even you know so that you're not just getting stuck on the movie but you're Mm -hmm. looking at how can we support the regulation that's needed whether it's before or after or it's both before and after because I think that we as parents we can get caught and I know I do we can get caught up with these things that seem so important to us in the moment mm-hmm. but it's normally like you said it's, it's because they're connected somewhere to fears mm-hmm. and if we can like unravel that a little bit then we can find this really expansive response yeah. And I think when we're coming from an inexpansive place and we've actually worked it out for ourselves, our kids actually are way more receptive to whatever potentially limits and things end up being in place because they're not coming from a place of control. Those limits are cut co- or fear. Those limits are coming from a place of looking for the expansion for all of us. And mm-hmm. so our children tune into the energy of that expansion rather than the energy of control. Absolutely. You're so right. And, you know, I think this was a moment where my husband had set the limit and told me that he'd set the limit before anybody had asked me about it. And so I think that it was one of those times too, where if you're parenting with a partner, you know, sometimes you feel compelled to follow their lead. And, but normally in a normal circumstance, when I am more aware and less in a, you know, in a kind of a place for control and control is my, absolutely my response to stress. Hmm. That's absolutely my response to anxiety. It is, it's my go-to. Normally I will even say, especially to my daughter, my oldest, who needs very much to feel like we are collaborative, that we are partners Hmm. in this world and this growing up that Hmm. she's doing. I will say to her, I really want to say yes to this. So let's work together to find a way to make this work for our family. Cause I want to be able Mm. to say yes to this. And Mm. that response usually works really well for her. One of the things that some of your listeners might be thinking right now is like, well, but kind of like, you know, well, I've already said no to the chocolate or no to the movie. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go back on that. And and I used to have that same thing of like, no, I've already said that I'm not going back on it. And, and then I kind of realized that actually I was shooting myself in the foot by being unwilling to offer flexibility, unwilling to demonstrate to my kids that I could actually have a period of self-reflection and then acknowledge that I'd made a mistake. And I introduced something in our family called Rewind. I created a product called the Yes Parenting Digital Pack. And this is one of the practical yes parenting tools that I talk about so a simple like situation where I might use it would be if I caught myself going into like telling my child like why something can't happen and da 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 and then I catch myself mid-flow I'll go well rewind and then I'll say I'm going to do that again and then I'll come forwards with actually what I realize authentically is true so I, I can catch it then but in a situation like that where your partner made the decision then you became aware of it one possible outworking of that could have been that you and your partner might then have chatted he could have maybe gone oh wow yeah okay I can see that actually I could have done that differently mm-hmm. and actually you both then could have potentially could have gone through to the kids and said we would like to rewind this whole situation because we've been able to have a think about it and we want to do it differently And then you could like do the whole like make rewind noise, which obviously doesn't make sense to the kids of this generation because they never actually had the videotape rewinding. But, you know, (laughs) they totally get it, though. I know they do. (laughs) And or even, you know, so you can even do it with the sound or if you have kids who are physical in their learning, you can physically kind of walk backwards and maneuver yourselves or whatever. (laughs) And then you can say, okay, ask your question again about watching the movie. And then they can ask it and you can say, 
yeah, so let's watch the movie, but shall we have a bath first? Or we're gonna go for a walk after, or, or whatever it is. And I think kids, well, there's two things. I think they love the playful aspect of it because we can get quite serious. And actually when we kind of lift the energy of something, even if it's a serious thing, like I think there's some real value in that. So I think the kids love the playful aspect of it, but I think it's really powerful for our kids, even if they're really young, to have that experience of, you know, mum and dad are willing to change their mind. They're willing to be flexible. They're willing to acknowledge that they're wrong. And my experience is that that means you raise children who are able to acknowledge that they got it wrong, who are able to be flexible, who, you know, are able to self-reflect and go, oh, actually, maybe this isn't quite right for me or you know I've realized I could do it differently absolutely I so agree with that and yeah I mean I think that that is an important thing to model for our kids and I think for many of the parents that I work with myself included it is incredibly difficult to do that now because I never had it modeled for me growing up I mean my mom and I have a wonderful relationship but one of the the things she talks about is this really harsh punishment that she gave me as a 13 year old and she still regrets it she still regrets Mm. how harsh it was and she felt trapped by it and that she couldn't walk it back and I think about like what I could have learned in that moment of seeing my mom walk it back and how much if they had walked things back a little bit more Mm. with me how much easier Mm. it would be for me to walk it back with my kids you know I Mm. I think it's an important thing to teach our kids thank you for the coaching (laughs) parent (laughs) coaches need it too right I wanted to just ask you because one of the things that I feel like you were talking about really made me think about how a lot of this awareness, a lot of this curiosity, a lot of this coming to acknowledge your own unmet needs, your own underlying needs, reflecting on your behavior, what's going on for you. I think that that's, for me, that that is an incredibly important part of self-care. And I just, I wondered what your perspective on that, because those are all things that I, I, I mean, we hear about self-care as parents spoken about in a lot of different ways, but that one is mm-hmm. one that I ever hear like formally acknowledged as like, this is an essential piece of self-care of coming to be aware of what your true underlying needs are and if they're being Mm. met. And I was just Mm. curious if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, self-care is such an interesting one because the the idea of self-care is, you know, banded around a lot. Often it's banded around in the context of, you know, getting a massage or having a candlelit bath or all that kind of stuff and of course those things are wonderful you know if that really supports you then you know brilliant but self-care for me is about taking the time to really know myself like who am I like how do I thrive what environments are the environments in which I'm able to bring my best self what do I need so that I can be the most expansive version of myself so that I can feel peaceful and joyful and connected in the way that I navigate the world and so as I've learned more and more and more of that the self-care practices for me have become clearer so one of my huge huge acts of self-care is to every day check my bank account just to make sure that I am aware of what's happening with my money and it doesn't matter how much or how little money I have I know for me that when I do that every day, it releases pressure and space in my head. And when I have that release of pressure and space in my head, I'm more able to navigate everything else. When I was in my early adult years, I also had a wild relationship with money. I'm not going to use a 
any kind of judgment descriptor there, but I had a wild relationship with money. And now I have a much more kind of ordered and intentional relationship with money. And I'm really aware that for me, that's that's a huge act of self-care. So I will sometimes have a hot bath, you know, and that will be wonderful. But if I'm not, for example, not taking care of my money, then I won't be meeting my self-care needs. Now that's personal to me. It's not that suddenly if every parent starts taking care of their money, suddenly, you know, their self-care needs are going to be met. But I know for me, that's massive. And one of the things I talk about in Yes Parenting is a concept of having a base need. And so when our base need is not being met, it doesn't matter how much we meet all our other needs we're still going to be struggling for want of a better word. So my base need is order. I'm really aware that if any part of my life starts to feel too chaotic, too disordered, it doesn't matter how much nourishing food I eat or water I drink or exercise I get or hot baths I take or, you know, connection with friends I have, I will still be starting from a place of challenge The minute I start to bring order back in, whether that's my physical space, my mental space, my admin, whatever it is, could even be my garden. As soon as I start to bring order back in, things start to change for me. I know that order is my base need. My youngest son's base need is fairness. If he has a perception that something isn't fair in his life, it does not matter how much quality time I've given him or, you know, you and I talked a while back about love languages and it wouldn't matter how much I was meeting his love languages. If his sense of fairness Mm. is out of kilter, nothing feels right for him. My eldest son, it's to do with safety. If any part for him, something doesn't feel safe. And that's interesting. That's changing slightly now that he's hit 16 because safety changes from being a physical safety with your brother trying to beat you up or whatever to a different type of safety but for him it's safety and so for me as well that that's been a really important process of self-discovery learning actually what is my base need so that I make sure that I have self-care practices that support me to meet that need Mm. so that I start from a kind of like you know a place of knowing that the foundation is laid. I love that. And so how do people go about finding their base need then? Well, I think this really depends on you as a person. So I used to do a lot of journaling. What I noticed in my journaling was that the same themes kept coming up over and over again. And those themes were themes around chaos. And I wish I could tidy the kitchen or I'm fed up with how much life admin is lying around. You know, like I just started noticing that the primary issues that just were there over and over and over again were all about this need for order. So that was how I became aware of it. And with my kids, it was just through observing them. Mm -hmm. I noticed that when my youngest son used to come to me because he was upset about something, it would be, it's not fair, Peep just did this, or it's not fair, I can't find whatever it is, or it's not fair, you blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It was this, it's not fair. He literally told me what it was. And often when people would come to me, it would be like, Joss is trying to hurt me, Mm -hmm. or he'd be worried about something because, you know, he would worry that he was going to hurt himself or things like that. So I became aware that what he seemed to always, the thing that he most worried about was safety so that was how I did it for myself and for my boys and I think with my husband for me it's been about observing him often listening to language for me now 
I really enjoy language and I pay quite a lot of attention to words. As an autistic woman, I mean what I say and I say what I mean. And I can get quite confused if other people say things and that's not actually what they mean. So language is quite important to me. And therefore observing language is something that comes quite naturally to me. And I do think as humans, you know, using language, even if, you know, within the deaf communities where it's signed language, I still think that we each have patterns in the language that we use that if we can observe those patterns in ourselves or in others gives us massive clues about what's going on and I will now use that when I'm talking with my boys who of course now you know they're a lot older so the conversations are very different or talking with my husband I'll be listening to them and I will notice the kinds of patterns that are happening and what they're saying. And then I can just reflect back to them and say, it sounds like you're feeling worried about the future, or it sounds to me like you're feeling frustrated to do with your computer game, or I'm wondering if you're feeling confused about so-and-so. And then it's like they go, yes, it's like suddenly I've kind of found what it is. Whereas I don't think I've done anything other than observe and listen. But I think we are so quick to want to find solutions Mm -hmm. that we don't allow the time to observe and listen. Within Yes Parenting, there's an an acronym that you can use in any situation. And it is fuck this shit. And it stands for forgiveness, understanding, compassion, kindness. And then this is just a connecting word. And then it's silently hold space, inspiring transformation. And I think that where you're at with your relationship with yourself and in parenting, you'll find that you're drawn to different parts of that acronym. Like no one needs to suddenly be getting every part right. And I think initially the place to start is forgiveness and understanding, you know, but then you get to a point where you start to realize that actually what's needed more than anything is to silently hold space, whether it's for yourself or for your children or for your partner or for your mother or whoever. And in that place of silently holding space, That's, I think, where we get the information about ourselves or about our kids or about our partner or whoever that tells us what it is that we need, that tells us where things have become out of balance or dysregulated, that reveals to us where life is contracted rather than expanded, that shows us actually what we need to do to have that experience of a yes to joy, peace, connection and ease. And a tip, especially if you're raising boys or you're relating to a male partner, a top tip that I learned from reading a book called The Queen's Code is you're listening. And when they stop speaking, you remain silent and you silently count to 10. With most males, and I say most, it's probably not all, but with most males, and in my experience, this is pretty much across the board before you get to 10 they will start speaking again because their brains tend to spend more time processing in those silent moments to then know what to say next often females are different we tend to be able to kind of get it out we might pause briefly but then we kind of carry on but men actually need that space or males need that space generally to have this processing time So with my boys and with my husband, when they stop saying something, I remain silent and I, unless they've directly asked me a question, that's different, obviously, but I stay silent. I silently count to 10. If they haven't said anything by the time I get to 10, then I will respond. But normally they start speaking again. And then, so I wait until they stop again. I silently count to 10. 
And I go through that process. And that, since I introduced that about three or four years ago, that has blown me away without how it has changed my relationship with my boys and my husband in terms of really getting the information I need to understand what's going on with them and where they might not be meeting their own needs or I might not be meeting their needs. That's been massive. Yeah, I think that that's so important. My husband also needs quite a long pause. He sometimes needs even more time Mm -hmm. than the 10 seconds because he doesn't express himself clearly, you know? So when I say something I mean what I say. I say exactly what I mean. I choose my words carefully. You know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't. If he gets thinking too fast, then the words come out and they don't actually mean what he means to say. Mm -hmm. You know, they Mm -hmm. don't, he's not actually using the right words. So he needs to go very slowly. But even just that pausing and hold space, it works very well for my girls too. They're just waiting. That pause, Mm -hmm. I think especially, you know, many of my listeners, most of my listeners are women. And I think we are socialized to fill empty space. We're socialized Mm -hmm. to rush in with thoughts, Mm -hmm. with words, even with good empathetic statements, we still rush in and holding back, self-regulating, quieting that impulse is hard work, but good work, good for Mm -hmm. us, good for them. Yeah. And I also loved those reflective statements that you were mentioning before, what I hear you saying that, you know, so I'm seeing that you are, you know, and then reflecting back what they were saying. I think that those are good opportunities to hold a mirror up to our kids and to our partners that oftentimes people need to hear their words or they're what they've conveyed reflected back to them. And we can be that mirror. I mean, this is something too, that we can do for even the youngest children in their play, that if we are making reflective statements while they're playing, they get a chance to look at what they're processing, what they're saying with their play. And we can- The other thing that happens is that they have their their need for being heard met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which Which is a big one. Powerful. So powerful. Well, B, I think we could talk for hours probably, but I think that this was incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for being with us. This was absolutely a joy to talk about and very helpful for me personally. So I appreciate the opportunity to work through a little bit of control issue that I was having. Thank you, Laura. It's been a real joy to be here. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.